Dan the Man Jocelyn, uh, you are someone who's very much looked up to in this community. Uh, a lot of the kids um, have been mentored by you. Um, you've really made an impact. You're heading now east, <laughs> so I guess we shouldn't yeah. bury the headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely wanted to bring you in here on the studio and uh, have at least one conversation before you head out. And I know you'll be back, Absolutely. but um, but tell me about that. You have a, a you know you're heading out east. Yeah, I'm, I'm heading out east. Uh, my lovely girlfriend is now has a a job out there, and I'm taking a a chance on myself for trying to find a job. I think. But the club taking a chance on me has helped a lot of where, how I look at life and especially with children and kids nowadays. Um, I want to do as much as I possibly can for kids. And so I'm, I'm looking to work at a, with kids somewhere in, either in a school system or at the Boys and Girls Club or a YMCA out near Quincy, Massachusetts. Yeah. So tell me about how this all began for you. Um, you know, you have, I would say, a non-traditional start mm-hmm. uh, to, to things. I guess that would be uh, a, a way to describe it. But how about you tell me about that a little bit? Um, growing up, uh, you grew up here uh, in Pittsfield. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about your family. Uh, well, I could go on for years about <laughs> my family, but uh, I was adopted at a very young age um and so kind of this is the only family that i know um i grew up my 15 brothers and sisters so we all yeah we talk about the brady bunch (laughs) very non-traditional um i'm the second youngest out of all of them and so when i we were growing up it was like kind of like big gaps in like the ages of who was in the house and who was in the surrounding area. Um, so I got the luxury. I was very lucky to like have the family support that I had. And we, we always call it a farm system. Like you would get ready. You would, you're, if you're an older brother or sister, like your job is to make sure that X has their shoes, their lunch, everything ready to go to school. So it's kind of like those cartoons where you see like <laughs> you were by the dozen and you have like shoes X, Y, and Z. And so that was, really cool and it definitely helped having a non-traditional family and having a lot of people from Vietnam, like vietnamese korean uh black white like all different races i we got to learn so much about each other because normal not traditional families you kind of have more the kids are more like-minded because traditionally they yeah. came from the same parents um and also the same genes yeah very <laughs> true well, yeah you know uh, and yeah. so we got the luxury of not having that and learning from the sports people i love sports growing up so i got to learn from like my older sister nancy who was really yeah. really good at softball um my brother john was a big wrestler my brother that passed away was a three-sport athlete very good at football i think was his best sport but he'll beg to differ (laughs) um so it was very interesting in how we were brought up because our parents kept us accountable accountable but it was more of our older brothers and sisters like because my parents were always doing something with my sister my brother they were always doing something and so like 
kind of our family kept each other accountable. Like, Hey, your grades are slacking. You yeah. need to figure it out and yeah. we'll help you, but you need to figure it out. And going off of that, it's kind of how I brought into my sort of accountability towards the kids. Like your parents are leaving you in our care and I love you. And I love you not as much as your parents, but I still got love for you. So I'm going to keep you accountable for the things that you need to be doing and the things that you should probably try to stay away from because it's a different path. We want to be on a, we want to have choices in life, but the choices that we want to have are more, we want to see on the brighter part of life than the other side. And actually I remember I, I, it may, it may have been you. I know it was um, your brother, Ben, mm-hmm. who was the first time I think I saw him when he was about this tall uh, on the bleachers at Pittsfield high school, because I think uh, your sister, Nancy would play basketball mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. And, uh, and I do uh, recall that. And um, he was a big influence uh, for you. Um, oh, yeah. We know uh, tragically uh, he, he was killed. Mm-hmm. Um what was like? What was that like for you, um, growing up and and experiencing the loss of a brother? Ooh. I I can still replay the two thirty in the morning conversation with my mother. Um, it was still one of the hardest things that I had to learn from. So I I said. The, the backstory real quick. I just got in a traumatic car accident that summer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I just got in a traumatic car accident with one of my friends and I was in Spalding rehab center for, Oh my God, for a long period of time. And I was fighting to get back. Like I had a traumatic brain injury. I broke my leg, my hip cracked my ribs. Like a lot of it was in my brain, my brain bleeding, things of that nature. And so my dad was down there. We had to put a lot of things on hold for me to come back healthy. And I just remember Ben just texting me constantly, just keep going, Hmm. just keep going. And because days, days sucked. Like I had PT, I had OT, then I had to like learn how to read and write again. Like, and so we were, we just had that shock our our system to our family. Like that was a huge thing that happened. And then I just remember the joy of passing like a an occupational test, like as like a graduation. Okay, I I'm back. Now the rest is on me. And then school's ending. And I just remember. He, him dropping me off at my friend Ricky Shikuzi's house. And that was the last time I saw him. And you talk about a lot of questions. Like I always say it to myself, like, why did someone choose me to stay instead of him? Because that it's still, still a question I ask myself constantly. But now I think with a lot of, years and learning from that situation and just gratitude it's turned into i i'm here for a reason and that's the energy that i take into every day because i always talk about gratitude affects your attitude and there's been a lot of people with a lot of obstacles but that was a huge obstacle in my life that 
taught me a lot about who I am to this day. And my brother is still in my brain all the time. Just keep going. Just keep going. No matter when you're tired, just keep going. And never want anyone to have to deal with it ever. But I'm going to tell you this right now, that situation shaped the person I am right now. Hmm. That's powerful. I, you know, over time, when you go through difficulties, and I can't imagine that uh, tragedy and and having someone so close to you, and I did not know the story at all. This is the first I knew that you had the car accident mm-hmm. and had to go through so much just to to be able to get back um, to, I mean, uh, TBI is a serious mm-hmm. uh, thing. So um, it's amazing uh, that you're able to recover and get to where you are uh, today. Um, but I guess spiritually, uh, you know, how do you look at that? Because I think initially there's probably a lot of maybe, you know, uh, you said questions about uh, why me and, mm-hmm. and why him, um, anger uh, from loss and that sort of thing. But, you know, over time, how how did the spiritual element uh, fit into it, uh, if at all, as, as, as far as your philosophy goes? Uh, a lot. I can't say that I'm because you said he's there, you know. He, oh yeah, you, you know. And you said you know whether it's the brain or in your soul or mm-hmm. you know, you know. Again, we all have our own beliefs, but um, but he's there, right? Yeah, I think kind of like what you just said. Everyone has their own beliefs. I do believe that he is watching over me. I don't, and you can feel his presence sometimes. Like actually, this past just Sunday, we had. I had six girls go to an AAU tournament. One girl followed out. The other girl just like sprained her ankle. So we had four girls. Hmm. And he literally like told me, this is your chance to prove your character. Because when I always say it, when things are sunshine and rainbows, everything's cool and everything's easy to do. But when things hit the fan and there's a a rocky path in your way. That's when your character matters. That's when who you actually are will be on display. And those girls for the last four minutes and 35 seconds played five against four. And we beat that team by four points. And that was like emotionally like, wow. Like I can, I tell you, I was over here sobbing because it was just so powerful for me. And I just, there's little moments just like that where I just feel his presence. And it's moments where my nephews and my nieces are all doing great things. Like, and you see it. And that's like the powerful thing that I just get so happy about because he affected our whole family. Just a big personality, big individual, big personality. And he was always there for our family. And I'm, I want to be that person for our family now and then whenever I have one. Hmm. Looking at the work that you've done, um, and I I always have loved to see what you do on social media, because I think you're probably in this community, one of the first people in your sort of role to really uh, use that um, uh, media as a way for um, you know, to really uh, stretch out uh, the work that you're doing. Um, so I think that's 
a connection that a lot of people have with you is through um, that that digital side of things, um, and they see that. But it really, you know, can tell you can tell it comes from your heart um, and and building a lot of that content. Um, you know, tell me about uh, what it has been like working with kids, and, and I know you'll continue to do so. But um, even over the last few years, you know, how has that uh, shaped you and you know your approach to kids how has that shifted if, if at all i think it's definitely shifted um but it's also taught me about gratitude like some of our kids just go through so much that nobody knows mm. and they still come into the club with a smile on their face and it's just like I have to be grateful for everything that I do because I know that 12 year old who is going home to something that mm. is the most positive thing can still come in here and have a smile. And if for the hour, the three hours or four hours that I'm here, if I can affect their life in a positive way, I'm going to do it. And that's kind of like the talk I have with myself all the time when 2.30 rolls around, let's go affect kids lives and positive but holding accountability holding them accountable is a positive thing for me it's not like oh you're mean it's like no holding them accountable means that you care yeah and yeah. that's something that i've tried to preach to a lot of them especially on teams or in life because you're gonna be in a, on a team or in some sort of team fashion your whole life it's whether you're a significant other it's your job your what if you're on a team when you get older it's just holding each other accountable because it means you care. Um, but going off of that, I think COVID has, there are a couple months behind, especially mm -hmm. when the youngest kids, like watching them, I'm doing coaches pitch and T-ball right now. And mm -hmm. a lot of it is like the social interaction with kids. It's like some kids are just like, ah, and then you can <laughs> definitely see some of the kids that are like, I don't, I don't know if I want to be here right now, but I think that's with everything. But I've, when I was younger, I was the let's be friends and I'll do whatever I can to help you. And I've switched that into like mentoring, like I'm going to be your life coach. Mm -hmm. And with your life coach, I'll celebrate your wins and I'll be there for your losses. But I'm going to hold you to a, a standard. Like when we go on, I say it all the time, when we go on the court, people should know what our standard is. Even if we're losing by 40, our non-negotiables, our effort in being a good teammate. Mm. And that's kind of where I've taken the sports aspect into the workplace with even my staff. And they know the standard that we have at the club every day is to do what we best, what we possibly can for kids. And that the standard keeps rising. And that's the whole point for me of like leaving a legacy with our kids and hopefully some of the volunteers and staff that were there. I hope I left the legacy of like Dan's standard was always here and his energy was always here. Hmm. And hopefully at one point, four or five years down the road when I see one of those kids that are, might be out near the Boston area and they're just like, thank you. Like at the end of the day, when I pass away, 
I want people to go there and not talk about my accomplishments of anything. I want them to every single day that man brought the energy every single day. He was open and honest with me. And that's something I learned from him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you know rings true. I mean, it, what Maya Angelou said basically that, you know, people don't remember the statistics. Mm-hmm. They don't remember the accolades mm-hmm. as much, but they do sure remember how a person makes them feel. And um and I and I think that goes to a deeper level, you know, when it comes to those personal interactions. So, you know, how to, how how does someone make you feel? But then, how does someone maybe even change the way you think, or maybe how does someone change my approach, even so slightly? Mm-hmm. Because slight changes make for really really big changes over the uh, long term. No, absolutely, and I think that has helped a lot of kids because I'm not. If you need to lose weight, I'm not telling you to lose 50 pounds tomorrow, but what little, little change can you do? Maybe taking, instead of drinking soda, you switch that and you drink it to water. And that little change can help uh, the effect, like the snowball effect turn into, okay, I'm feeling a little bit better. Maybe let's like start going for walks. And I think that's just a cool thing. And that's a lot of the social media content is to put that out there and just to get information about how they're thinking and also maybe throw in a little question about like, Hey, like ever thought about this? And I think it's helped a lot of people because we talk about Keelan can attest to it. We talk about, I don't have bad days. I have bad moments in a day. And I think even he thinks about that when he's not working at Taconic and he's like, Oh God, this is tough. But then he gets annoyed because I used to say it all the time. And then he kind of has switched in and been like, okay, that's 35 minutes of this day that has been poor or something's going on. And now let's figure out a way to make the rest of it as positive as possible. Yeah. And I think we don't maybe do enough of <clears throat> understanding that you know living in the moment helps that. Because if you really live in the moment, <laughs> then even if it was five minutes in the past, you can let it go. And I think that is one of the great challenges that you know we have as adults. <laughs> Never mind uh, kids, mm-hmm. uh, because you know um, we we live tons of information coming at us, tons of peer pressure and all that. But you know, being able to really get quiet um, is not an easy thing in this. In, in the environment that we live in. But um, but I think it's something that it would be really helpful, even if we could instill that in the schools. And I know the skill, schools are even doing some more of uh, you know meditation mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Um, but you know that stuff has been underutilized and undervalued for a very long time. Absolutely. I think when anytime you pick up your cell phone, you're not present. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I actually talked to my staff about it. I always ask them questions of the day when I go into work. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing right now. I saw kids that are in relationships in middle school and they're sitting at the desk and they're both on their cell phone, Mm -hmm. just scrolling through TikTok or whatever, but you're not present with somebody. And I always say like, when we're out to eat, put your phone here. Let's have a conversation. And I'm always down to ask questions or be as open and honest and candid as possible. And I just, we have 
I don't even know the statistic anymore, but we have one in 400 trillion odds of being on the earth, you being who you are and who I am. And if you can't take that and just be present more, then that's, that's scary. But what's cell phone is a mechanism that can bring a lot of people together, but also can like be your safe haven. Like you're like, Oh, I don't really want to be here. So I'm going to pretend to, and I just think it brings in a lot of information that kids don't really need or need to be judged on. I'm 10 years old and I have an Instagram page. And if I don't get a hundred likes, I need to take it down. Like, yeah, that's yeah. scary to me. Yeah. That's that so, scary. You know, that, that really, um, wow. I know that that is, that is scary for a generation coming up where outside validation Right, outside validation. What is, I mean, so much of social media is the reaction. And I know to, to the credit, sort of, of some uh, of the platforms, they're starting to rethink about um, showing the number of likes and things like mm-hmm. that. I think Instagram is, is sort of tweaking bit, that yeah. a little bit, but not that much. <laughs> you know, it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, uh, you know, if you are presenting something out there and you have followers, then who cares how many, I mean, you know, I know it sounds, I mean, meanwhile, you know, we're all looking at analytics and things like that. I'm putting (laughs) stuff out on Instagram and and Mm -hmm. Facebook all the time. And, you know, but I'm I'm in marketing, you know, that's kind of what I do, but like, you know, just for, for a kid to have this sort of outside validation, understanding that, yeah, if you don't get a hundred likes, you know, you're kind of a loser. Mm-hmm. That that sucks. Yeah. And it's, it's with adults as well. I think we, we, like you said, we're looking for outside validation. And for me, Instagram, I think is very, very perfectionistic. Like everything that I put on here is a show my life in the best way possible. And it, so you, as looking at it like oh dan has everything put together and look at him he's doing (laughs) x y and z meanwhile i just crashed my dad's car or something and i'm having a crappy day but i wanted to like put this out there so people can (laughs) double click their screen for my validation yeah and i think it's learning who you actually are is a lot more important than someone double clicking a screen and then scrolling past it because it doesn't really affect. Yeah. Them. Not a lot of people put the uh, big piles of laundry that are, you know, over in the mud room or, uh, you know, or all the dishes that you have to do mm-hmm. or, um, or just how you, you know, had to sleep in an extra two hours <laughs> because you're just exhausted from the weekend. And, and that's no fun either. Um, you know, on a Monday morning, uh, I just, you know, and, but, but that's, that is the nature of thing. I think, you know, some people have the guts and they've been able to kind of uh, be that authentic and, and to some extent, but then, but then that becomes part of the brand, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it, you know, to some extent, there's always a bit of a, uh, a facade, even if it's, even if it's quote unquote authentic, Mm -hmm. because we're all talking about, oh, you gotta be authentic. Well, there's more authentic, (laughs) but true authenticity. I don't even know. I mean, what does that even, it's, it's, it's hard to even decipher what that is even is nowadays. It's just a double-edged sword. (laughs) And I tell everybody, like, if you're, it's real to you, Put it out there if you yeah. want to put it out there put it out there but don't don't allow it to validate your existence yeah because at the end of the day like it's not who you affected via social media it's more about the people that in your circle that you are affecting every day or the people that you might not know you're affecting 
Like when I told people that I was leaving, like the amount of the outpour of adults that I didn't really know that were affected by some of my Facebook posts or even Instagram polls. Like I had no idea. I have parents that I grew up playing Little League with their son. I haven't talked to them in 15 years. And they're like, oh, Dan, like amazing. Keep it going. I'm so sad you're leaving. But like, and that's really cool for me because I'm like, oh, that's cool. But like at the other same time, like, I don't, I want to just keep doing what I'm doing because I love doing it. I love you commenting on a, a, a thought provoking question and then being like, okay, okay. He thinks like that. That's cool. Like a lot of it was during COVID when a lot of social justice stuff was going on. We had educate to elevate, but every like Monday and Wednesday we would come on and just talk about different topics. And it was cool to get people from the community to just take an hour out of your life to talk about gender equality, racism, like inter like stuff with sports. And we just covered a bunch of different genres and it was really cool to have people that are from all walks of life come in and I kind of was like, Hey, like, Ooh, <laughs> let this person speak because every, sometimes it got a little yeah. hot debated, but yeah, I was having this conversation about listening, uh, not too long ago with one of my guests and we tend to live in a world where we're just waiting for the other person to finish so that you can talk as opposed to actually listening. And, you know, when you're talking about these number of skills out there and kinds of, you know, values, that's one of those things that I think um, is undervalued because, you know, what is real listening? You know, <laughs> real listening is that presence, mm -hmm. you know, there's listening. Okay. Well, I'm sitting through having a conversation, but then I'm just waiting for that person to finish so that I can chime in. Um, that's not really listening. Yeah. I, we, <laughs> one of our staff, Kaylee, she was actually really good at um, drawing. And I used to continue to say, listen to listen, not to respond mm. because, or it's like in a debate that you're having, you have to say one trigger word and I'm not listening to anything else, but on that trigger word, I know I'm what I'm going to come back and say, mm. just listen to kids, like listen to people, like it's okay not to have a response. And that's what's hap happened in, in my job. There's just been times where I, I'm your safe haven. What you say here, unless it's something that I do have to tell somebody about, just talk to me. I'll just sit here. Mm. Here's water. We'll just sit and talk. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, but I feel like the, a kid said it to me like i have thousands of followers i have two people i can talk to mm. that's the the disproportionate like that's a scary thing for me i'm glad i'm one of your listeners that you can talk to but i'm also scared that you only have two people that you feel comfortable going to when stuff isn't all smooth and there's not sunshine going on but if i can teach or be as annoying as i am with some of my words that i say all the time like if i can teach them that i think i've done my job my job has never been about the amount of money we bring into the boys and girls club it's never been about the programming and all that stuff it's always about the kids and who we're putting in front of these kids to make sure that 
they're learning something that they can take with them for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And I hope we've done that, but we will, time will tell. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about the number of people who you can actually talk to. I, I think, you know, people, you know, if you're listening to this now, you may want to be thinking about your, that really it is usually a kind of small number, maybe, maybe a little more than two. Hopefully there's, you know, mm-hmm. you have, but as it relates to these networks that we have, when it comes down to it, there is a pretty small circle most people have as far as those truly trusted individuals. And if we're lucky, some of those people are fortunate enough. Some of those people may have been uh, coaches in the past or uh, people who we met you know, in organizations that were through the youth you know, type of things that you, you do. And, mm-hmm. and maybe you're that mentor for a lot of kids. But I found myself not long ago picking up the phone and I had an issue <laughs> that I had to deal with and talk to an old coach of mine. Um, he's not that old, but uh, he, <laughs> old as a, yeah. he coached me a long time ago. <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes you don't even know who those people are until you kind of enter into a certain situation that says, wait a minute, that coach so-and-so can help me with this, I think. And I think he'll pick up the phone if I call. Mm-hmm. That's really an amazing thing. And, um, and, I, and I would suggest that there's a lot of kids out there who would probably think, hey, uh, you know, uh, Dan is, is a guy I can pick up the phone and, and, uh, and call one day. Yeah, I, I would. I do. Under, the, having two people to, to talk to is a great thing. And I do think all it takes is one person to listen that can, at, like right now with what's going on in the world and all this stuff that's being thrown at a 10-year-old. Yeah. all it does is take one person to help save a life and i think it's just for me because i'm so like open and honest that any car ride that i'm in i'm on the phone talking to one of my friends even if i talked to him yesterday i'm just hey checking in how are things because i think we're losing that that feeling like you know how back in the day myspace was my top my top friends <laughs> and like those were the other people that you could always talk to and all that stuff. But I think, and I say it to the kids all the time, your, your circle right now is huge because you want to be liked by so many people mm. and you want to be popular and stuff like that. And in high school, it kind of comes here. And then in college after your third, probably after your, your sophomore year, when you come back, you're going to talk to the people that, really have meant something to you and that you're still in contact with. So then your circle gets even smaller. And then when you get it as an adult, like your circle gets smaller. So just have an amazing amount of people that are good human beings in your circle and just go out of your way. We have a cell phone that can literally call anybody overseas. doesn't matter. Like pick up the phone, call somebody. doesn't matter if you are having a bad day, maybe make it a deal with yourself once a week pick up the phone and call somebody, call your friends. Like one of my friends is in Ohio. I know a lot of things that are going on in his life, but it's like, cause I'm calling people. Yeah. And so that's kind of like, these kids have an off an awesome opportunity. And so do adults, but like they'd rather Snapchat their feet and then be like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, Hey, just, 
call them and say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing today? But it's just like the, there's a little difference between growing up, but I'm trying to teach and learn from them. Still learning about a lot of things that are going on in our life, but it's just having people that you can call is such a huge thing for every part of your life. And hopefully if anyone's listening to this, they can, they can think about who are the people that they can call or need to call. I do hope that you are enjoying the podcast. I just want to take a quick moment to let you know that this is a production of 180 Media. That's my full service communications and marketing agency. We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms, copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. I uh, always love that anecdote. And maybe it's, I hope it's backed by some sort of statistical analysis, but there is this idea that, and it was true for me, that the people who you are lifelong friends with out of college are most likely the people who you met within like the first week or even at orientation, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I always found really, really fascinating because the number of people you will encounter, especially in a big college or university is thousands of people mm -hmm. for sure. And yet there you are. And those are the people who actually it's, it's, I always found that very interesting. It's strange, but interesting. It is. That's so cool that you brought that up because it's so true. At least in my experience, it's so true. Like I was lucky new student orientation. My roommate and I were, I don't know him, but we were actually in the same orientation group at Springfield and Springfield does an amazing job of putting kids in uncomfortable situations. So they have to actually <laughs> talk to each other. And so Do like one of these mini projects or yes, something. three or days like, of yeah. like teaching and like, Hey, let's human pyramid. Like, okay. I don't know. I do not know any of these people, but I'm going to put my knees and hands on their back. This is about to get weird. Um, so like college got real weird, yeah, real quick, real quick, <laughs> but you're true. It's so true. Like my, I met one of my buddies who just went to his wedding and he was in my NSO group. So the first, day and a half oh you like basketball so do i like and then we just started talking and like we lived in the same dorm for the next three years and it's just like wow kind of like what you're saying it's so we it just clicks and then we i had a core eight or nine people that i was on every intramural team with and gone to every wedding they're gonna come to mine so it's like that is a crazy stat, even if whatever the stat is that you brought up, but it's so true. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if it's a statistic. Yeah, I just but, heard it so much that mm -hmm. like it must be true, right? At some point, but it was it just what it was true for me personally. Yeah. So, Absolutely. and it sounds like it was for you mm -hmm. as well. But, um, you know, I, I did hear, and uh, at least multiple teachers I did hear from during the pandemic when we went virtual and the kids were home and not going to school. And I don't know at what point the boys club was in that situation also um, with the lockdown, but there was 
a great number of teachers who I heard from who were very concerned about the kids because of that, not just because of learning, but and again, I mean, you know, there's a whole range of kids. There are kids who have wonderful parents and they're totally supported and, and, you know, kids who maybe, you know, less or so, but still have, you know, a great situation. And, and then there are those who definitely have uh, households that are not supportive um, and may even have a, a level of abuse going on. And um, I wonder what your uh, perspective was on that, um, because you as a safe haven, it must have been really in some cases, a safe haven, it, it must have been really difficult if you weren't able to connect with those kids. Yeah, I think especially during that, we, we did open up um, the club as like a safe haven for kids that needed to learn. We, had, mm. we got new internet that's higher powered for all the kids because a lot of kids did come. Like our after school program was still filled, but like we were worried about the drop-in kids that I know and some of our staff know that their household isn't the most warm supporting place to be. And the boys and girls club kind of has a policy of like, we don't reach out to the kids unless they reach out to us. Um, and so that was the hard thing, but I still kept doing my presence on social media. So like people feel comfortable, like, Hey, like I need this. What can we do here? Um, a lot of the time we were giving on Saturdays, we were giving out food. We were like teamed up with the United way and we were giving out different restaurants. We we're doing an awesome job of giving out free, free meals for people. And so like, we would see a kid and we we're like, how are things going? Like, if you need us, we're here, we're here from seven, seven thirty in the morning to about two thirty or three thirty when your school day, like if you need us, we're here. Yeah. And that's kind of how we made sure that we are checking in on the kids, all kids, because everyone, this whole thing did so many weird things to everyone's life. Mm. And I thought it was, it was cool for the first like two days, like <laughs> not going to work or whatever. And then it was like, I want to work. I want to yeah. make sure these kids are okay. I want these kids to know that there's a support system. It's one thing if you were like an accountant, not going into the office, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, so, absolutely, you know, an accounting firm <laughs> or whatever. But, uh, but when you have a passion for what you do and you know, those kids to some extent uh, need these programs and need the people who deliver these programs mm -hmm. more important. Um, yeah. It must've been uh, no, it painful. Ate it ate away at us for like staff that, are coming to like help out volunteer their time and during covid where we didn't really know too much about it showed me how much we actually have people that care about our kids and so that was another rewarding thing that i saw but it was like more like hey like what what can we do to kind of have like a a check-in without us being blatantly like hey is everything okay with you it's because i know people don't like being called out or like checked up on. But if we gave them an opportunity to come ask a question on my Instagram or on Facebook, we started doing different things. It was cool that people that reached out because now we know what we can do to help them. Yeah. yeah. And people like officer Derby, like 
would, hey, can you deliver this anonymously because they need it? And so it was really cool, just a community that gathered around a lot of things that were going on, like the whole George Floyd thing was, mm. but it showed me when I went to our, the first protest that there are so many amazing people and it shouldn't take us having a really bad things happen to somebody to show all the amazing people kind of like what you're doing right now. I, I love every second of it because you can just learn so much from so many people that are around here that you don't even know, but you feel connected with them now because you listen to the podcast and you listen to their story and then you just go, wow, yeah. that person still has a smile on their face. I love it. <laughs> and that's what I keep trying to tell our kids like, and our staff too. Like these kids, you're, they're eight years old and they're going through this and they still come here and they're mm. running around. Yes. Yeah. Asking for money constantly can be annoying, but like, <laughs> <laughs> they feel o- they feel open and honest with you where they feel open enough to be like hey you got a dollar <laughs> and so it's one of those things for for me that i think we did a really good job especially when we had camp during covid and everybody was what are you guys doing you guys are terrible blah 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 and i was like honestly we're just trying to give a an an outlet for kids that need us yeah yeah Absolutely. And parents that need us, grandparents that need us, aunts and uncles that need us. And that was a difficult because you're always on pins and needles. Oh, did, you good? Right. No, you don't got headaches, sore throat? Like you're it's good? The worst. Yeah, it was the worst. It was so weird. But I also think like our community and like the world did a pretty dang good job of coming together and looking at a situation and doing they're best at trying to help people. Yeah. Yes. To, everyone can say that I should have got a million dollars in my stimulus check. That would have helped more, but it's like, we're trying, people are trying. Yeah. And that was the cool thing that I got to see during COVID because everyone was kind of more on their phone because there was not much going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, you're very well prepped for fatherhood. Cause I was just at uh, Deming, park the other day and uh my gosh it's like uh can i have 50 cents for water can i have a dollar for the mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man it never had <laughs> oh yeah i was that kid as well uh i love it i love it i well, i love the fact that everything's like 50 cents or a dollar <laughs> oh yeah that's nice that's my favorite part yeah about the whole thing. that oh, is yeah. very nice that's why <laughs> you're like dad's a big spender <laughs> uh, spent three bucks yeah So what did you, what do you coach uh, for? Uh, you do AAU basketball. Yeah. Is you know what what do you actually um, for the, your coaching? Which do you coach teams? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I coached the ninth, tenth, and eleventh grade varsity kind of AAU girls team, mm-hmm. and we are we're we're in a rocky road right now, but we. I, I love those kids. I'm not going to post the record. Yeah, uh, no, I love, last, I really love the last game. <laughs> I just love them. Like no matter what, when they're, you know, that they're not having, they're not playing as well as they want to. And they're like, Ugh! and they go down and they mope at the end of the bench. And I was like, I'll give you 30 seconds to mope and feel bad for yourself. But then let's go, like, let's be a good teammate. And like, let's figure it out because 
we need everybody, especially when we had six girls. And then at one point we only had four, we need everybody to go and compete. And that is fun. I'm also helping right now get underway the coaches pitch and T-ball for the boys and girls club. And Coaches pitch. I'm I'm throwing the ball, and some of these kids are smoking the ball right back at me, and I'm like, okay, it's a little scary, but no, it's good to have different avenues for for kids. Especially t ball is the greatest thing in the world. I think it's 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 very very slow, but (laughs) when that kid hits that ball and they just pure joy, they don't even know what they're doing. They're not. I did it, but I'm not, I'm supposed to be running the first base. <laughs> like that's the little things at my job that you're just like, I'm going to like, I teared up when I told my, my job that I was leaving. Hmm. I tear up. I'm, this is my last week and I'm our, I walked in today and some kid sent me a, a, a text message that I was, and I just started crying because hmm. it's, the club took a chance on me as a kid that just came out of college and youth development. like my friends used to make, make fun of me because you just, you're going to college for a made up major. (laughs) So I'm like, dang. Um, Well, I majored in psychology. So I, I, I feel you, I feel (laughs) you, but that, that would be the really, the, the difficult part every, every day where a lot of kids knew about it and like, Oh, Dan, you're leaving us. So don't worry about it. And I'm like, to coping mechanism. I get it, but I still have love for you. And so this week will be a little difficult, but I just, like I said, I hope I've left a kid or kids or staff in a better place than where they started. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for you, uh, when you first arrived and younger and, and all the rest, um, did, did you have that sort of classic imposter syndrome kind of feeling or, did, or, you know, the sort of fake it till you make it, or did you just, just did it, you know? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I was very, I was always a CYC kid. So I, yeah. I, I grew up. I almost feel like it, like I couldn't imagine anyone more prepared for it, even though, yeah, you were CYC as opposed to yeah. boys club. And that and back in the day, that was too distinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, big rivalries, big rivalries. Yeah. And we, it, it was back in the day. It used to be, and I don't know if it continued on, but it was like, okay, CYC had the small court. Mm-hmm. And so therefore allegedly like fundamentally the CYC had to be better. You had to make that crisp bounce pass and you had to be accurate with it and, and so forth. Um, and then the boys club game was a little bit more open because you had the big court. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually the courts themselves that, oh, yeah. that dictated a lot of that. Um, and then I think if you went on to the next level, maybe the boys club kids were a little bit more prepared to play on real courts because they were actually yeah. doing that. Re- regulate. I say regulation mm-hmm. courts as far as that goes. Um, so that was always a theory and the CYC tended to be a better teams of the all-star teams until Frankie Skygo went over to the boys club. Yeah. And, and then it was uh, a little bit more competitive and things started to change. I know. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting, now we're getting really deep into the, <laughs> I get it. But, I like it, but, but yeah, so that, that was my perspective on it. So I, I think I wouldn't say I was extremely prepared, but I definitely felt like I was com- more comfortable than maybe somebody else because I like did a lot of internships in Springfield where we have a lot of kids that kind of the same thing when they walk through our doors, 
they're dealing with a lot of things, but like when you're here, let's have as much fun and like learn some stuff. And I think that helped me. Like I interned for the greater black men of Springfield with, with kids that didn't have fathers and just that power, that the power that those kids made you feel because they were hanging on every word that you said. And like, at that time I was like a college basketball player and a college baseball player. So like I was the man to them, but it wasn't about what I did on the basketball court or what I didn't like. It was about teaching them about the work that is actually involved because everyone wanted to go play division one basketball, but it was talking to them about the work that was going into like your, your craft, like being, you need to be able to do this in school so you can play. And that was one of the things that helped me. And then preparing for the beast of the club, like I say it all the time, like boys and girls clubs come in, they like, we're on phone calls. Like how many kids are your average daily attendance? And like, it's like 540. And like, what? Like 540. And I'm like, yeah, like that's how much we have one of the biggest sites in America. And they're like, and then they all came and they're like, Oh my God, I get it. I, I, I have heard that in the past and in the, and the club itself is a big building. Mm -hmm. I think comparatively to other clubs um, around, around the country. So, so there's that. So, but put that aside, we live in a community where there's about 40,000 population. Mm -hmm. Um, I assume that there are boys and girls clubs around the country in communities that have a lot more than 40 some odd thousand. And yet the number of kids that the boys and girls club in Pittsfield um, uh, provides services for mm-hmm. and, and works with um, is, is greater than basically any other club, which is amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, if you put it in perspective, that is uh, wow. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things that until you go to other clubs, until you like listen to other full-time staff members, you're like, you don't, you think this is the only way it goes. Like, this is it. Like every club has not, they must have 700 kids per day and they're all coming. You're like, and then they're like, Oh yeah, I'm Irish daily tennis, 139. I'm like, <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so like, that was the beast of it because right when I first started, I was the mentoring director and I just was like looking around at like, Oh, wow, do we have a lot of things going on right now with a lot of adults in yeah. people are in a swimming pool, swimming's going on. There's a high school swim meet now, hockey's getting ready. There's sewing, there's cooking, there's all these things going on. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to get weird, <laughs> but let, let's figure it out. Because like I thought my internship where I was mentoring kids, like it was a perfect role to come into the club because like we talked about listening. All it does is take one person that wants to listen. To mm-hmm. And that was my role. And then I created relationships with a lot of kids. And that's why I was like, okay, I love this. Yeah. Like this is something that I could see myself doing for a very long time. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, what position do you play in baseball? I played, well, when I was really... I was a center fielder. I was a right fielder until I was a sophomore. And then I was a center fielder. And then it was fun. I baseball, but baseball is another, it's a full-time job. I tell, try to tell kids, you have fall ball and you get like a little break. And then you have winter workouts at 5.30 in the morning. And then, oh, the season's here. Do you, would you ever like to go back to a day when kids played 
three or four sports every year? You have no idea. Absolutely. It's one of these conversations I've had on like the educate to elevate. I think you get so much more out of being around different types of people. And I think I learned that the most, especially well, in my family, we had a bunch of different types of people, but in sports is where I learn so much about people and like being around different people and being around kids that might just like freak out all the time when they don't succeed at something and like how to talk to them comparatively. So mm-hmm. to the kid that's really, really good and kind of like way too cocky and you're like, okay, I'm going to talk to them <laughs> like this. Um, but yeah, I do. I think Quentin Gittins actually never played soccer and he was a taconic like basketball star at the time, never played soccer. And then mm-hmm. he was like, I'm going to play soccer. And I just said, that's the greatest thing in the world because soccer just teaches you about angles and talk about being in shape for basketball. Oh my God. Soccer. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And I, I, I kudos to the people that are playing one or two sports and like getting division one looks and like, I will never knock that. But I always think when you think of Russell Wilson's, who was going to got drafted to be a, an MLB player and an NFL player and also played, basketball like the people that play three sports i just have so much like respect for because it's so different like i played three sports football basketball and baseball and it was so cool because you were never off you were always going to war with one of your teams and competing in practice and I just hope we get back to that i wish we would because when it comes down to it again if russell wilson I mean, Jim Brown was known as perhaps the greatest lacrosse player in the history of lacrosse. Mm -hmm. I mean, not a lot of people know that. Some people do, but obviously, you know, football player, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Dave Winfield or he, I don't know, that's way before your time, maybe, but baseball uh, player, I think he was drafted uh, in three different professional sports. Now those are the, those are the high level athletes, but the point is, that if you're going to be good enough to make it into a pro league in any sport, and again, that's already a tiny, tiny percentage of people coming out of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, if you're that good, you'll still get the looks. Absolutely. You know, I I think of like you said, the social element of the the diversity of kids that you're playing with and against um, gives you different experiences. But then also from a physicality standpoint the muscle memory and the ability to like, if you're only playing baseball and you're only throwing a baseball and hitting a baseball and running, that's a lot different and a lot different types of muscles that you're using than say basketball, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot more lateral movement, um, you know, and soccer, Um, you know, so like to me, I, I, I really do wish it would go back. I love fall ball. I coached fall ball last year. Um, a wonderful season. It was great. Um, there's some kids who do fall ball and play soccer um, in the same season. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if, if the family can swing it, I think that's a good thing. So oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I really wish that the trend would, would go back toward that because this has been like a trend that's been really focused on specialization. And I think that has been what sports has been pushing for the last I guess, 20 years or so specialization, you know, whether it's a middle reliever, left-handed middle reliever who comes in for four pitches and then is out specialization there or, or in particular sports. Um, Yeah. 
love to go back i mean i always put it in perspective like you kudos to people that can go to prep school for their sport and education i'll say education and sport but i always say like in prep school most prep schools are forcing you to play two or three sports you're not just going there to play one sport like even at the high end oak hills like a lot of those kids all run track mm. or play soccer or yeah i just wish like we would do a I get it. If it's your love, I really do. I loved every sport that I played. Right. And if it was basketball, it was football season. I'd be at Clap Park running the hills, like getting ready for the season. <laughs> and then I would train. You get a week and a half to like get ready for basketball. But I just think when you're, you're an athlete, just do it as much. Go play as many sports as you can, because at some point I don't want you to get burnt out. Yeah. And that's just, it is true. And uh, having, and just in my own personal experience, having been a distance runner who ran division one and, mm -hmm. you know, cross country, indoor track, outdoor track, summertime train, cross back, country. Yeah. Back to it. it yeah. And, and you do, it, it's just, it's inevitable, um, especially in a dis distance running. Um, but I think that would go for any sport, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it, you know, you need to break it up, especially so, younger kids. You said distance running. <laughs> so I've always had this, David Goggins says it all the time. Like, oh, what was your, do you run marathons? Uh, 10K, 10,000 okay. meters on the track. Uh, so at what point in that race where you're like, I hate this. <laughs> I, it depends which race it was. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Just running half marathons. You're like, you get to a certain. Yeah. <laughs> mile and you're like, oh my, I still have to do all this. And, and it's so funny because when you look at, you run a 10K on a road or in a cross country race, it's a lot different than running on a track 25 times around. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think some coaches would say, well, this is, this is where the, this is, it's, it's not easy. It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the old, the old, the old mentality, saying, yeah. uh, on the track. Um, you can't hide, you know, cross country, you can hide around a corner, <laughs> you can slow, you know, you can kind of slow down around a corner, but like, there's no hiding on a track. Um, so guys who can really knock out a 10 K on a track, I respect them immensely. I mean, I, you know, I was a lot younger when I did that, but, <laughs> but, um, but, but it is something, it mm -hmm. is something and no distance running is no, is, uh, not for the, the faint of, of heart. That's for sure. Absolutely not. <laughs> I always, my friend, Brandon Russo just loves running long distances. And like, I did it a couple of times and I was just like, nah, okay, it's not that fun. I'll run, <laughs> I'll run three miles and I'll call it a day or whatever. But like you, where, where do you just come back from? Oh, I just ran 12 miles. <laughs> okay good for you it's a different breed mm. it's a different oh, breed. Yeah. i mean again i mean to, to their credit you know berkshire running center and all the lots of runners out there oh, yeah. lots of, and it's you know they they're healthy and that's that's great <laughs> um that was a time of my life that is a while ago so <laughs> i i prefer going for walks uh and and hiking in, in the woods and that sort of thing it's a little more fun for me these days nothing wrong to, with that um but uh but yeah i i you know, um, I think you have a great future ahead of you and, um, you know, going off to, to Quincy, I think, I think you'll be back at some point. I, yeah, I, you know, I, know. There, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a bet out there I hate to make predictions. Yeah. There's, there's that. a bet out there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just, I tell kids all the time to 
take a chance on who you want to be. So it's kind of me taking a chance on really like being in a different place and being a little bit uncomfortable and going out and hopefully continuing to shape wherever I am. Like I always talk about the culture of my friends and the culture of the club and the culture of like my family, like our culture, me culture to me means so much. So if you can go and like establish and like help the culture of like, like our, one of our staff members barely even came to work, didn't did their job, went home. Now I'm asking them questions of the day. And like, I walk by and they're like, Dan, what's the question of the day? <laughs> and you're like, so culture has, always been something that I preach in any team that I've been on or coached, like, like let's push each other and let's have some fun while doing it. Cause we, we, we never know, like going back to my brother passing away, we just, we never, never, ever know how quick something can change in your life and the anger and the sadness that happens from it. But the whole thing is to like take each day and try to bring energy towards it, at least for me. Yeah. And hopefully at the boys and girls club, I, I taught somebody one person that, and hopefully I can get into a boys and girls club down there or why, or teach kids. That's all I'm trying to do is try to help motivate kids to, to be the person that I know they can be. Dan Jocelyn, a great pleasure. I know you impacted more than one kid. Appreciate that. <laughs> I know it's been many, many more than that. So, uh, and clearly you're loved in this community. So, um, you always have a seat here. I appreciate um, that. Uh, whenever you come back. So, um, so I wish you the very best. I know you'll do awesome things and you're always going to do awesome things no matter where you are. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the John Kroll podcast on your platform of choice. Maybe it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever works for you. Also, I would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of. Send me a note through Facebook Messenger, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find and I'm easy to reach. I look forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash John hyphen Kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon. Thank you.